Amen. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. The great book of worship, prayer, confession, adoration that God gave us. And we've been looking at, in our Christmas series at psalms that are quoted in the New Testament, and specifically in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 1. And these are psalms that are all quoted in the New Testament as referring to the person and the work of Jesus. And of course, Jesus is always the, the focus of our preaching, of our hearts, even when it's not the Christmas season. But as we think about the, the baby in the manger, as we, as we think about the nativity scene, and we think, who actually is Jesus? What did he actually do? How would we describe him to ourselves, to the world around us? The Psalms are actually a great place to, to turn to know and to understand Jesus. And so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 102. Uh, you can, again, turn there in your Bible. You can find it online. If you're watching online, you could Google it. But it's also printed in your bulletin. They're on page 7, so you can turn if you don't have a Bible with you. So again, Psalms chapter 102. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm a desert owl of the wilderness. Like an owl of the waste places, I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread, and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The time, the appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appoints he appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come 
so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when the peoples gather together and the kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. For of old, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you will establish our offspring, that you will establish your people to, to worship you, to praise in Zion. So Lord, when we are faint, when we're distressed, we pray that we could see the promises of your word, that you would use this passage to, to lift us all up in the, the word of the Lord that you would model for us what it looks like to, to pray, to cry out to you, to have uh, the cry of the Lord be the, the center of our lives. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we can hold on to Jesus today as we look at this. And we pray in his name. Amen. So I was looking this week at WebMD, and, and it was actually a surprise that there was a, an article on WebMD about holiday depression and stress. And, and this is what it says, that, that the holiday season for most people is a fun time of the year filled with parties, celebrations, and social gatherings with family and friends. For many people, it is a time filled with sadness, self-reflection, loneliness, and anxiety. And I was just really struck how that was probably written before the pandemic because it, it talks about, for most, it's a time filled with parties and celebrations and social gatherings and, and friends and, and family. And so I have a feeling that as a result of that being more difficult to find, to experience at this time, that what it talks about, the sadness, the self-reflection, the loneliness, the anxiety, will actually be felt by, by many more and probably by, by many who would not have experienced it in a, in a normal year. In our, in our, and maybe that's even where you are today, feeling the, the sadness, the self-reflection, loneliness, anxiety. And so how can we deal with the hardship of the Christmas season, really any year, but especially this year, and I think that the answer is what we see here in this psalm, Psalm 102. 
Because look at the introductory words there in your Bible. It says that it is a prayer of one afflicted. When he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And so the, the psalmist here says is afflicted, he's faint, he's complaining to the Lord. And maybe that's where we are as well. Maybe some of you are afflicted. You are faint. But you're wondering, what does it look like to complain to the Lord? What do you do with the, the faint heart? What do you do with the, the feeling of distress and trouble? How do you how do you deal with that? And yes, an, an article in WebMD might be helpful or have practical suggestions for dealing with it. But ultimately, what we need to see is, is what we see here in this text. And we're going to look at it under two headings. And the first is how to complain before God. And the second is then how to find comfort in God. Because those are really the two things that we need. We need to know how to complain, how to take our troubles and our distress and our faint heart to the Lord but then not to be just left there, but actually to find true comfort and hope that is actually in God through Christ. And so first, let's look at how to complain, how to complain before God. And maybe you say, well, no one, no one likes a complainer. No one likes to, to hear somebody else complain all of the time. And does God really want us to complain before him, to bring our complaints and, and our trouble? Does he want us to be the one, like it says in the introduction to the psalm, who complains before the Lord? But of course, that is what we see here in God's word, somebody complaining. And look at how he begins his complaint in verse 1 to 3. He begins with a sense of petition, calling on the Lord. He says, hear my prayer. Don't hide your face. Incline your ear to me. And so when we begin to complain to the Lord, that's also how we begin. Lord, I'm going to complain to you right now. Hear me. Don't shut your ear. Don't turn your face away. Incline yourself to me. Don't leave me alone here by myself. But then look at how the, the psalmist continues in verse 4 to 7 with his complaint. He begins to use a, a series of, of metaphors to describe his distress. He says that, that he has passed away, that his, he's like smoke, that his, his bones burn like a furnace, they're being burned up. He also says that he is like grass that is withered. And so you can imagine in the summer how the grass can be so full and, and thick and green, but then in the fall, it turns yellow. In the winter, it begins to fall over. And when we have a snow like this, all the grass just falls completely flat. When it melts, as we enter into the spring, the grass will be rotting flat on the ground. And that is how the psalmist sees himself. His bones are burning up. He's grass laid flat out on the ground. He also says that he's like a, a desert owl. And you think, well, that's an interesting image, not maybe the one we would have chosen today. But I think, again, it's this image of, of isolation, that, that he's in the desert, he's alone, and the owl is, is by himself. He's awake all night. There's insomnia. He can't sleep. He's, he's, he's there in complete and utter despair by himself. It's the same in, in, image as the, 
the lonely sparrow. It says the lonely sparrow on a housetop. Now, I remember in college, there was a, a bird built its nest right out in front of my room, right by my window, and he would wake up at four in the morning and just start making noise. <laughs> and it would wake me up. It was r really annoying. Uh, but that's, that's the image of this lone bird making sound by himself. He's in complete despair. No one is listening. And maybe those who are are annoyed, want nothing to do with him. And I think that as you reflect on your own trouble, your own faint heart, your own distress, what metaphor would you use for your life, for your experience this week or this, this season? If you were going to write it down in a journal, try to find vivid imagery to describe your life, what would you choose? And I actually encourage you to do that. Because one of the things that we see throughout the Psalms is this rich description of human suffering, of what we're actually facing. And, and sometimes I think that we don't try to put actual words on our suffering and the things that we're, we're facing, but there's something about trying to say, what, it, what, what is it like? What's the image of my suffering? And then don't just have it be something that you write down in your journal, but then have it be something that you take to the Lord in pain. This is really what I'm feeling. This is my current experience before the Lord. And I think that this is especially important during the Christmas season because that's part of the problem all the time in the holidays. And one of the reasons that people feel their depression more acutely is because there's a sense of this is the time that I should be happy. And this is the time when it seems like other people around me are happy, that it's not okay to feel this way. And then especially, I think, even in the church, we have this mistaken idea that Christians should just be happy all of the time, that it's always positive, it's always encouraging, that, that we're always going on and on about the, the goodness that we have experienced and all the wonderful things that have happened in our life. And, and of course, there's, there's a place for that, and we'll, and we'll talk about that. But that we've lost this sense of lament, of, of lamentation before the Lord, of being able to really be, be authentic, to be an open book before him, to be able to really face the pain of our experience and what we have gone through and actually take it to the Lord and not feel like we have to hide it from others or from God or even from ourselves. But then look at how the, the psalmist continues in verse 8. Then he moves into this concrete description of his suffering. I mean, he's still using imagery as he talks about eating ashes like bread, drinking his tears. But he says that his, his enemies taunt him. That it's not just that he's, he's alone and suffering by himself in a way he is, but he actually has enemies who are, hate him, who are against him. People are using his name as a curse. But then worst of all, he actually realizes that the things that he's experiencing, his, his suffering is actually from the Lord. He says that it's a result of the Lord's indignation, the Lord's anger, that he says that the Lord has, has taken him up and thrown him down. That, that this is somehow the action of, of God, maybe not the immediate action, but he knows about the sovereignty of God. Maybe the psalmist has even read the book of Job. He, he knows that Satan couldn't have done anything to Job without the sovereign will of God permitting it. And so he says, Lord, this, this is 
from you, the things that I'm suffering, the same things that I'm, I'm facing. And we think, well, wouldn't that drive someone to, to atheism? Wouldn't that drive somebody to, to rage against God, to be angry against God? But for the psalmist, actually, this, this sense of awareness of the indignation, the wrath of God, the sovereignty of God and what he's facing, that actually leads him to turn to the Lord. And it reminds me with the, with the apostles where, where people were leaving Jesus, and Jesus says, do you want to leave as well? And they said, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And, and if we crawl, cry out, where else are we going to turn but to the one who actually is sovereign, who actually is in control, that he is the one who has the, the words of eternal life. But before we move then to thinking about what it looks like to find comfort, because we'll get there, I want to offer, though, one warning about this complaint before the Lord. Because if you know your Old Testament, there, there is a, an example of complaining where it doesn't turn out well. And that is the people of, e- of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. And so you remember that, that they were enslaved in Egypt. They cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up Moses and Aaron, he sent them through great signs and wonders and plagues on Egypt to deliver them. And he brought them out through the desert, through the Red Sea. And then ultimately, uh, to the foot of Mount Sinai, they saw the fire of the mountain. They saw the giving of the law. They tasted the sweet manna from the hand of God. That arguably, they, they experienced some of the most incredible, miraculous displays of God's power that any one has experienced in history. And we think, well, if we saw that, what would we have to complain about? But then we know that as we we read the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, that Israel was constantly grumbling and complaining while they were in their desert journey. That they, they grumbled against God, against Moses. They said, oh, we would have been better off in Egypt. Oh, if only we had meat to eat. If only it wasn't all of this, this manna all of the time, and, and we would have been better off even in slavery than out here, and you've led us out to die. You've led us alone in the world. And ultimately, because of their grumbling and complaining, they face severe judgment from the Lord. And so you say, well, well what's, the, what's the difference? What's the difference between the complaint of Israel in the desert and the complaint of the psalmist here in our text. And really the difference comes down to the, to the person to whom we are complaining. That the, the Israelites complained to each other, they complained to Moses, they complained about God, but they didn't complain to God. But what we see here is the, the psalmist, in one sense he's complaining about God, but he's complaining about God to God, and he's taking it to the Lord in prayer. And so even though we do want to recover the, the biblical art of lament, of complaint before the Lord, we don't want to be grumbling and complaining people. And the way to avoid that is to follow the pattern here, that, that what we do is we take our faint heart, our distress, our trouble, our complaint to the Lord first and foremost. And actually, one of my goals has, has been for a while to try not to complain to grace before I complain to the Lord in prayer. 
If I, uh, and it's something I just know I don't do perfectly, so you can ask Grace about that after the service if you want. Uh, because I'm, I'm sure that I, I, there's lots of times where I'll complain about something and I have not thought about praying about it. But, if, but I think that that is what we need to, to start with. Are we really turning to the Lord first and foremost, even before we turn to the person that we, we trust the most or the person we think who could help in the situation? And I find that when God is the starting place for our complaint, that actually that we can turn the complaint to others into something that is actually constructive rather than being destructive where we might actually be able to, to solve something or deal with the situation or understand what's going on in our own hearts better and not be dragging other people down in the, the pit of despair uh, with us. And of course, there are, there's exceptions to that. There might be times where you just honestly feel like you're in a dark place. You can't cry out to God yourself. And so maybe you do call a friend in that situation and say, hey, I'm, I'm facing this. Can you pray for me that I can pray to God and that I can bring this. There's times where, where we turn you know, our complaint to others before we turn to the Lord. But I think that that's the, the last case scenario. That's when you're absolutely desperate. But, but our call is to try to bring it first and foremost to the Lord. And that's our, our first heading, the, the first section of this psalm of how to complain before the Lord. But now let's turn to the second section, the, the equally important, if not more important, section of this psalm. And it has the, the hinge that we see often in Scripture where here's a problem, but God. And that's what we see as well in verse 12. That he doesn't sit around just complaining forever. That he eventually turns to comfort. And surprisingly, that the comfort that he experiences begins with what theologians would call the doctrine of God. That, that it actually begins with this rich theology and rich understanding of who God is. Because he says that, that God is eternal. God's throne is forever. That his name will be remembered throughout all generations. And so he's, he's starting really with, again, what theologians call the creator-creature distinction. He's saying, I'm, I'm grass. I'm nothing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass away. I'm here for a day and I'm gone tomorrow. But God, he is enthroned forever. He is secure. And, and so in a way, he's reflecting on what are called the, the incommunicable attributes of God. And that's a way of saying attributes of God that, that cannot be communicated to a mere creature. The sense of a true eternity of being outside of time itself, being enthroned uh, in ourselves forever and ever. That's something that, that, that can never be true of the, of the creature. It's true of God, and he derives great comfort from reflecting on the eternity of God. But he doesn't just stay there with this abstract idea of God and eternity. But then he moves to God in time, the, the covenantal action of God on behalf of his people, that he says he will have pity on Zion, that he's appointed this day of salvation, that eventually the nations will come and fear the Lord and worship before him, that his glory will appear, that he'll regard the prayer of the destitute. He won't despise their prayer any longer. And so if you are facing that, 
that sense of, of a faint heart, of, of distress, if you, if you need comfort this Christmas season, then ultimately that, that comfort is going to be found not in some sort of clever methodology of, of mindfulness or reflection on something in this world, but actually taking our gaze from ourselves and from this world onto the, the, the beauty and the character of, of God and his, yes, he's eternal, he's unchangeable, but he's also full of, of love and, and mercy and grace and, and faithfulness that will be displayed to his covenant people in the end, that he will be merciful, he will be gracious, and we know that that is firm and established in the Lord. And so then we can actually turn verse 19 into our prayer in response to the comfort that we find in him, that we say, God, look down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoner. You say, yes, he has heard my groan to set free those who were doomed to die. And yes, the Lord has set me free that they may declare in Zion, the name of the Lord. And you say, yes, Lord, I want to declare the name of the Lord. In Jerusalem, his praises. When the peoples gather together, the kingdoms to worship the Lord, that, that it ends up from this place of despair and lament and complaint to this place of comfort and, and worship before the Lord. That that is where we can end up as we reflect on who God is and what he has done. But then as we wrap up today, I want to just point out in the, the final verses of our text how the, the psalmist brings together these two streams, these two themes of complaint before God and comfort in God. Because abruptly he, he moves from this, this sense of comfort and awe at the purposes of God back to comfort, or back to a complaint, rather. And you may even notice that when I was reading that it is jarring. He's talking about worship before the Lord, and all of a sudden he says, God has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not in, away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. And so again, that's the prayer of our complaint. Don't take me away. I'm facing so much. Don't leave me alone. I can't face this on my own. I need you desperately. But then after complaining, then he finds comfort. Once again, in verse 25, he says, Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. That the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that, that he, is, he is true, he is faithful, his promises are unending, he's not going to be one thing today and another thing tomorrow, that, that, that he is fixed. And that doesn't make him static and impersonal, but actually deeply personal and deeply loving, because we know that, that his, his love and his faithfulness to his people are, is not going to change, it's not going to be, there's not going to be new information introduced to God who knows all things to change his equation and his love and faithfulness. But remarkably, it's these verses, verse 25 to 27, that are actually quoted in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And I said that that's the theme of this whole sermon series, looking at the Psalms of 
Hebrews 1. But of course, in the New Testament, then this becomes this amazing statement of the divinity of Christ, because it's saying this is true, not just of God the Father, but of God the Son, that he laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of his hands, that he will remain forever and ever, and that his years will have no end, that this is what is true of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we reflect on this psalm, then, in light of Jesus, we see that, that actually the, the main character in this psalm is not us. It's not even David or whoever wrote this psalm, but the main character speaking in the psalm becomes the, the words of our Lord Jesus himself. Because the psalmist sees his, his faint heart, his distress. He, he talks about his enemies taunting him and using his name as a curse. When you think of Jesus hanging on the cross as his enemies surrounded him and, and taunted him and derided him and as, as they used his name as a curse. And you think that if the psalmist's name was used as a curse, that still to this day the name of our, our Lord Jesus is the most common curse word probably in the English language or among the top that his, his name is still used as a curse. And so you could imagine Jesus praying from verse 9 as he hung on the cross, he, he could have said, I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. Because that's ultimately what Jesus bore on the cross for us, was the indignation and the anger of God against sin. But it wasn't the indignation and the anger of God against his own sin that brought the trouble and the faint heart and the stress on our Lord, but it was actually our sin that was laid upon him, the the indignation and anger of God against our sin that he took for us so that he could say, my days are like an evening shadow and I wither away like grass. The one who, according to his divine nature, is forever and ever and is established in heaven, died on the cross according to his human nature, that, that he withered away like grass, that, that he suffered and died. And so if you are, are faint and afflicted this Christmas season, then you can reflect on the suffering of Christ, on the, reflect on, on the message, really what will be the message of, of, of Easter leading up to Easter, the, the suffering of, of Christ, uh, that, that he was afflicted, he was faint. And so we have a great high priest then who is able to sympathize with our weakness, that when we bring our complaint and our trouble and our distress to Christ. That, that it's not just that he is aloof from it, that, that, that he's in heaven, that he doesn't understand what we're facing, but Jesus himself endured the hardship. He endured the suffering and the pain and ultimately the, the death on our behalf. But that's why then also then we can see Jesus in this text as it hinges to comfort and to, to hope. Because after the, the resurrection, verse 19 could become the prayer of Jesus, where he says that the Lord looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. And he did that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, his praise, when people's gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. When every tribe, tongue, and nation is gathered to the, to the throne to worship because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the hope that we have in him. And so, again, today, whatever you're facing, whatever you will face, 
whatever your joys and, and sorrows, that if you have repented and trusted in Jesus, if you're looking to him alone, then yes, you will have suffering in this life, but your suffering will be sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and you can bring that suffering and that complaint to Christ. But then you also have the certain promise in Jesus that you will share in his resurrection glory, in his resurrection life, uh, that you have the, this comfort, that it's not just the, the flimsy comfort that you'll find on on a website, but it's the, 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 the true hope rooted in the unchangeable character of God that is our, our foundation this Christmas season. So let's pray.